Welcome to the Free Speech Union Podcast. I'm Dane Giroux. Today, I am speaking with Michelle Uriaro. Michelle is a founding member of Manawahine Corridor, an advocacy group for Māori women. Manawahine Corridor had a bit to say about changes to the recent births, deaths and marriages bill around the removal of safeguards for women regarding gender recognition. Kia ora, Michelle. Kia ora, Dane, and thank you so much for having me and for defending free speech. Well, thank you. Um, so there's a bit that we can talk about. It would be really good to talk about the the, the co-papa of your um, advocacy group and, and why it started. And, you know, we'll speak about the submission process that you um, uh, went through, which was quite controversial, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> it was. But, hmm. so, so why don't we just start with, you know, who are you and why Manawahine Kōrero? Sure, Dane. So, um, Kongati Hinepare, uh, Rawa Kongati Mahung, Ngahapuote Iwe, Ongati Kahungungu. So, um, I actually live in Australia and I have done for the past, gosh, I think it's 30 years now, Dane. Um, so, Manawahine Korero was founded because myself and other Wahine saw the need for a Māori voice to challenge. Uh, gender identity ideology that is being rolled out across the Western world, basically. So that's really, that's just basically how Marawahini Kōrero started. And and were you inspired by the bill specifically? Because I think Speak Up for Women, uh, you know, I hope I'm getting this right, but I think that they have a, uh, they have a similar, they were sort of basically set up to challenge that bill. Yes, they were. Uh, and, of course, I did follow it uh, from here in Australia, follow uh, Speak Up for Women. But more to the point for me, I, because I live in Australia, I also was seeing what was unfolding over here in the state that I live in, and that's Victoria, which is renowned in Australia for being uh, very gender identity, I guess, positive. Uh and the laws that um, the sex ID law here in Victoria, as well as the conversion uh, practices law here, which I think they call it the um, the changes, changes or practice. I can't even remember the name of it, to be honest with you, Dane. But um, I also co-founded um, another group here in Victoria called um, Women's Action Group, which I guess is the same, uh, has the same ethos for Manawahine Kōrero. Now, I guess to put it bluntly, a woman's rights are being usurped by gender identity rights, and that's just a fact. I challenge anyone, um, you know, anyone listening, to find the word "woman" uh, in the women's rights uh, section of the New Zealand Human Rights Commission website. There's no word "woman" when it, when they're talking about women's rights. So, you know, that's where we're starting from. You know, we as women or wahine cannot be protected in law if we are not even identified as women. So, you know, that alone um, obviously is a serious concern for us. Now, as far as the the births, deaths, marriages and relationships registration amendment, I'll just call it the self-ID bill if that's okay. Sure. Um, So in relation to that 
specific bill, uh, Manawahine Korero, we submitted in writing and we also presented to the committee uh, our, I guess, um, basically that we, we did not support the bill at all or the amendment. Um, and, you know, for, for, you know, the reasons I just outlined, um, <laughs> you know, and, and also to, and might I add this, you know, this entire topic is very, very broad. So it does, you know, the tentacles do reach deep. So I, I hope that the listeners can, can bear with me. But for instance, with the self-ID law, um, on the regulatory impact statement, which comes with most, you know, proposed bills in Parliament, um, you know, it actually had a statement there, only recognising binary genders may have had a negative impact specific to Māori. Research suggests that there was gender diversity within te ao Māori that has diminished with colonisation. This has negatively affected the acceptance and participation of gender diverse Māori in their own communities. Now, just in that quote there. Well, so, that, so, so one moment. So, so where did that quote turn up? So that was um, in the regulatory impact statement for the supplementary um, order, you know, 59 for the births, deaths, marriages and relationships registration bill. So the self-ID bill for New Zealand. So when I read that, <laughs> you can imagine how I felt about it, you know, because the truth is, and I was born and raised in my culture, I might point out, um, uh, for a start, I don't speak for all Māori. Uh, no one does, actually. Um you know, we are all defined, as everyone knows, by our hapu. Um, and each hapu has their own kaumatua, their own rangatira. Um, and often, you know, we're not one homogenous group, Dane, where we all believe the same thing, you know. Mm. It, it's it's in, Sometimes it can be, um, I mean, you could take it, I guess, offensively, but, you know, people just say Māori and just expect that, ah, they all think the same. No, it's yeah. not true. It's not true yeah. at all, you know. Um only recognising binary genders may have had a negative impact specific to Māori, I claim is an outright lie because our whakapapa is underpinned specifically by the fact that we are the progeny of the tāne and the wahine um, relationships. And that's just a fact. doesn't matter who you think you are or how you feel or even your sexuality. We are all born of a wahine. You know, and that has always been part and parcel of, uh, you know, of our of our culture. So that's that's an extraordinary quote to turn up in a document like that. It is speaking for all Maori, and you know, I mean, I am no expert in tikanga Maori, and I'm not going to pretend to be. I mean, I mean, I probably would know more than the average uh, non Maori, uh, mm. having worked in Maori broadcasting for many years, and. and and so forth, and having so many Maori business, most of my business partners have been Maori mm. um, over time. Um, but and, you know, and, I, and I've been privileged enough to have these discussions with lots of different people um, uh, in, in, in the Maori world, and uh, that that strikes me as very, very odd. And I wonder on whose authority they could have possibly, uh, uh, you know, put put that in there. Well, that is a very good question you asked, Dane. And, of course, because that statement was, I mean, obviously there was more to it, but even though the statement was given, 
you know, it says research suggests. It doesn't give the research. So we even we're in the dark about what research they actually mean. We can only, I guess, I mean, perhaps it could be because of Dr. Elizabeth Kedekede's thesis. And, of course, she's a Green Party um, MP, isn't she? Just for context, for people that may not know. Yes, yes, that's right. She's a Greens Party MP. Uh, She is a Māori and, I believe, and a lesbian. Um, And her thesis, April 2017, uh, makes all kinds of claims about, again, Māori, you know, which is very unusual, I think, because... You know, with I mean, we do have quite a few, you know, Maori academics, as you're, I'm sure, well aware. Mm. And whenever I've read their, you know, uh, their works, you know, right out the gate, they almost always, you know, give context to what they are talking about in terms of our culture. They talk about the different hapu. They talk about the areas. They talk, you know, what I mean. They talk about yeah. what is relevant to iwi. Mm. Now, Dr. Elizabeth Kerikeri did not do that. She just comes straight out the gate and just says, you know, Māori. <laughs> well, that, that's yeah. very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So here, this is what she says. Since the early, in her abstract, since the early 1980s, Māori, who are whakawahine, tangata iratane, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, intersex, or queer, have increasingly adopted the identity of takatapui. And it goes, and then, you know, then it says a traditional Māori term She's talking about takatapui, a traditional Māori term meaning intimate companion of the same sex. Now, look, I'm more than happy for that, you know, personally. If they want to use the word takatapui, okay, fair enough. But to say that it's a traditional Māori term and just Māori, you know, not not saying which hapu you're talking about, because I can tell you right now, my elders have never even heard of that word. Because in our hapu, it doesn't matter what sexuality you are, you are either wahine or tane, that's it. Well, so, so, so you're saying in your hapu you haven't heard of this word? Uh, do you, oh, we have recently. Well, recently, you know. but is there yeah. any evidence that it was, you know, used um, broadly and with other iwi? Well, well, this is the thing. Um, I can't find. You know, there's no broad use of that term. I believe it was picked up by another academic. Um, from a quote taken by, and I don't even know which hapu this is, and this is the problem, Dane, is that it all gets very, very obscure about where all this stuff is coming from, okay? Mm. So apparently the word takatapui was used to uh, by a tāne to describe his deep affection for a friend of his, another man. Now, they've and, taken and, that... And how did that... Was that in a poem or was that in – what was that in? Um, you know, actually, that's a good question. I can't even remember off the top of my head where it was, but it's not like the term takatapui is, you know, being used widely, mm. you know, pre-colonisation even, you know. It's not like it was being used widely. And can I just point out, you know, we don't even have a kupu for intimate companion of the opposite sex. You know, and you'd think that that would be more common because obviously that's where we've all come from, from those relationships. <laughs> and and kupu being word for word, for, sorry. Yeah, yes. no, that's all right. Um, mm. But it's, I'm, I'm quite proud of myself. I could uh, say that. <laughs> Very good. Well done. Well done. Yeah. So, um, you know, so we have all these questions. And 
look, we did, uh, you know, we did uh, raise uh, Dr. Kirikiri's, uh thesis in our submission. Actually, we didn't. It wasn't just the self ID bill that we submitted on. It was also the conversion practices prohibition legislation bill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both these bills passed. Uh, but yeah, so if you if you follow on, if you read through Dr. Kedikedi's thesis, it is, and I'll be honest, I I've read it I think two and a half times. It's a tough read, I'll be honest. That's just my own personal opinion. It's a tough read because it goes all over the place. Um, I guess, you know, for a start, uh, she interviewed only six people, Mm. um, offered very little in the way of tangible or qualified evidence on what she was saying. It's almost like she just said, this is how it is. (laughs) <laughs> without explaining, you know, to the reader, you know, how, why is it, you know, the way that it is. Mm. Um, curiously, she spent, I think, three months in the US, I believe, in California uh, to research uh, now, to research this thesis. Now, I've never, I mean, I've never heard of any hapu that come from the US of A. <laughs> no. So, I mean, I don't know what she's doing over there. But, well, well, um, was she potentially, was she, that's interesting. She might have been, and, and I'm just going out on it, I, I don't know. But, I mean, she might have been looking at um, other Indigenous peoples and trying to draw links or something. You know, maybe there was, which which would not be, I mean, that would not be good. I, I don't think that would be very, uh, well, I don't- way to research it. Yeah, well, I don't know how helpful that would be because no, another be culture is not our culture. That's right. You see what I'm saying? So mm. even if she did, I, I still don't understand the relevance. Sure, you know, the, the thesis, her thesis is definitely focused on, um, you know, uh, the LGBTQI, et cetera, community, you know, and that's fine. But she's relating it to our culture. So, you know, it's we find that curious. That's all I could say. You know, um, but but we also, you know, there is a smoking gun in her thesis, and it's a very important smoking gun because, <laughs> you know, even when you read the page, I, I'll read the smoking gun out to you, okay? Mm-hmm. She says, there is not yet evidence that Māori had diverse gender identities or that Takatapui played specific roles in pre-colonial times. Now, what <laughs> she says that, uh, following on from, this is what she says just you know a few sentences prior, it is clear that fluid sexual intimacy and gender expression existed among Māori in pre-colonial and post-contact times. Well, that's just a contradiction. It's on the one page. On the, <laughs> that's crazy. Well, it is. I mean, so what is her evidence? I mean, you, we've sort of you've touched on that. You don't think there's a lot of evidence, but is there anything? I mean, is she looking at pre-colonial art or poetry or or or, or, or waiata or anything like that? I can tell you now, there's nothing in waiata. It's all conjecture, as far as I'm concerned, and my elders have said that too. As far as I'm concerned, it's conjecture. Uh, there is now. I don't know if it's come from Kitty Kitty. Um, and you know what social media is like. Goodness, once you know a story takes hold, <laughs> it grows legs on social media. So there have been a few 
stories going around on social media that I personally challenged. Uh, one was actually about my own uh, my own tipuna, Kahungunu. Apparently he was gay and had many gay lovers. Now, a few things about that. Number one, uh, you know, our ancestor is long dead and buried and to talk about his sex life like that without him being able to vouch for himself is, I think, uh, not only arrogant but quite disgusting. Uh, secondly, it's it's not very common in Maori um, that that people would do that either, is it? I mean, no. there, there tends to be if someone can't speak for themselves, that that yeah, it gets trickier, exactly. It? That's yeah. right. Um, secondly, Dane, we all know, you know the uh, the number of wives that Kahungunu had, you know, and the progeny from you know the Papa. We all know. Who, who they were. So why do we know about all his wives, you know, and all his tamariki and mokupuna, but we don't know about these so-called men? Why would that be? That does not make sense. Mm. You know, and you see you see these claims, you know, being overlaid onto, for example, there's another story doing the rounds that uh, Tutanikai and Hinemoa, now, by the way, I'll just say up front, that is not my hapu. This, you know, the story does not come from my hapu. So I cannot speak as part of, you know, the hapu that hold the story. But apparently, Tutanakai also was gay. Now, I've never heard of that before in my life. Um, but equally, I've not heard from any hapu either, you know, that hold that story. Or that papa, I should say, to Tutanakai and Hinemoa. Oh, is, that, is that the story about the the man that, that breaks out of a prison and, and swims across to get back to her? So yes, that's right. It's a it's a very old you know it's a very mm. old story. Um, I mean, I learned about it when I was you know very very young, and his love for Hinamoa. Now, in you know the original story, his love for Hinamoa was um, you know. Uh, was without bounds. Very, yeah, without bounds. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. without bounds. So all of a sudden, for this story to come up, that oh, actually, he had a gay lover. It does not make any sense whatsoever. And the problem is when you've got no names making all these claims about, you know, uh, tipuna that they don't belong to, it's really hard to find, you know, where's the accountability in, in all this, you know, and going back to uh, what I read out to you in the um, uh, in the regu- regulatory impact statement, you know, that's a major issue for us. Where is the accountability? If you are not providing the research that, re- you know, that states that only recognising binary genders may have had a negative impact specific to Māori, why are you saying it? Like, it makes no sense anyway. So, you know, that's just, you know, one aspect of it, Dane. Well, well so, and, and uh, I mean, komatoa and, and, and people who are, you know, well, very versed, and I mean, do they even know what's going on? I mean, well, because a lot of them surely would be able to speak to this, wouldn't they? This is how they speak to it. Well, I'm telling you, sorry, from my, my elders, they've just said never heard of it, don't believe it. And for them, that's it. But, of course, they don't understand that this ideology and propaganda is being rolled out to schools in New Zealand. Uh, Well, not just in New Zealand, actually, you know, Australia, the US, Canada, you know, Britain, 
Well, well, um, they're probably not really engaged in the the politics of it at all, are they? At their age, well, this well. is the thing. Uh, you mm. know, they're they're so busy. I know for my elders, at least, you know, they're so busy. You know, um, taking care of the marae. Um, you know, all the you know, community events, you know, trying to make sure that everyone is, you know, got a roof over the... Yeah, you know they're what not I mean? on they're Twitter, scrolling exactly. through Twitter, looking at... Yeah, they're, they're not doing that. No. Yeah, no, they're, they're not on Twitter. They're not on, you know... Or, I mean, they're on Facebook only just so we can keep in touch. But other than that, they're not there to actually be social, if that makes sense. So um, so they're not, they're not seeing the bigger picture, you know, and that to us is quite concerning. Um you know, but the other aspect to this as well, to Dane, is that with the self-ID bill, what it does is it allows people to uh, simply ch- to change the sex on their birth certificate to the opposite sex, okay? Now, um, let me just did write it all down here because it's just so much to remember. <laughs> so the self-ID allows New Zealand birth certificate holders to apply to change the regis- registered sex or gender, it's sex, on their birth certificate with only a statutory declaration and a nominal fee. There's no court application required, no mental health treatment required, no drug therapy required or surgery. There's no requirement to even change your appearance at all, Dane. So even you could go in and you could change the sex on your birth certificate and not change a thing about what you look like. I mean, see, and and this is where it's... It's concerning because this is a bill. It's clearly a very controversial bill. We've got people misrepresenting tikanga Māori in order to make their arguments for it. And uh, I, I mean, I'll get to it soon, but I, I think that there is a, for, for the Greens, there is a predominantly younger, probably quite naive Pākehā audience that they really are appealing to with this stuff. It's not really Correct. a Māori audience, you know. No, that's right. Um, actually, we can touch on that now. Um, sure. I, you know, when Chloe Swarbrick, you know, won, won the seat in Auckland Central, everyone was like, oh, how, how fantastic. But it, it's like if you're a far-left party, why can't you win in South Auckland, you know? <laughs> like I would, have, yes. I would imagine, because that's where I come from, you know, if you're really about helping, uh, you know, marginalised people, wouldn't you be popular there? That they couldn't, you know, that they couldn't, um, you know, call, call a cab in a place like that. Mm. So, and there's a reason for that, and I think it, it does have to do with values. And even though they present themselves in a certain way, I mean, this is a middle class to upper class white party. You know, the Greens. That's that's who they are, and that's the people they're they're talking to. So when they say things like Maori believe this and believe that. Well, surprise, surprise, it just happens to fit in with all my ideology as well. Um, I don't think their base is going to challenge that. They're going to hear a Marama Davidson and say, oh, great, cool, yep, uh, 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 and, and just swallow it without chewing it at all. Well, they have, and these mostly young Pākehā, like you say, uh, supporters of the Greens, uh, will be are usually the ones that uh, – you know, will get into a tangle with me or that will challenge, you know, what I'm saying about my own culture. Yeah. I've actually had uh, one young Pākehā uh, woman send me a video. She actually started out her video <laughs> with, 
Oh, I was going to send you a comment, Michelle, but I couldn't be, you know, expletive. So I just want to send you a video to tell you that you need to speak to your elders. (laughs) And then I I just stopped it at that. I thought, you know what? This is how arrogant they are. And I I can't think of any other word. You know, it is, it's just sheer arrogance. How dare she? You know, Mm. and this, this is the typical attitude of, of these people when, you know, that they're all, they'll say, oh, yes, we support Māori, we, you know, we support Indigenous and Native. And, but I tell you what, Dane, the moment we Native women, you know, stand up and say, hey, these gender identity rights are usurping women's rights, well, they don't want to hear a bar of that, you know, once we, once we speak, speak no. those words, Dane, you know. Yeah. We have to be the obedient Māori before they, before they support us. Yeah, not, oh, look, it happens with the Jewish community. And, and you know, and I, I've also had people contact me and say, actually, this is what Jews believe. And I'm thinking, are you for real? Mm. And they'll say something just so wacky. It's like, no. <laughs> you know, I've never in my life thought to myself, I think I have more authority to speak about someone's culture that I have no idea about and I've never been raised in. I'm going to send them a video. <laughs> I've never ever thought, never even occurred to me. It's to do quite that. extraordinary. I mean, that's that's mm. privilege, isn't it? I mean, it people is. like to throw that word around, but mm. I mean that that's privilege. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, look, I'll be honest. Like, even that word, I kind of sometimes I bristle at that word too because it is often mm. misappropriated. But in that, you know, in in the scenario that I just gave you, it's absolutely accurate. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the question, the million-dollar question with a lot of this woke ideology for me is: Does is is are people like Elizabeth Kitty Kitty aware that they're pulling a fast one, or do they do they believe it? I mean, look, I mean, it's uh, it, it, it's sort of a question. <laughs> Every podcast we do, I walk away thinking that: Do they really believe it? Yeah. Look, oh, that is such a, a hard one. You know, to answer, I mean, like I, I kind of alluded to it before, gender identity ideology or propaganda is huge. Like it is in so many aspects of life that people are just unaware, really. Now, if you're, uh, say, for example, you know, upper middle class, um, you know, you likely won't be impacted as much as women in prisons. Yeah. In fact, you won't be impacted as much as women in prisons. So, you know, one thing that we raised with the committee um, in our, in our uh, submission for the self-ID bill, mm. um, you know, we said, <laughs> you know, there are cases already in New Zealand. Uh, I'll read the names out. There's, these are men who have committed some heinous crimes in New Zealand uh, that identifies Māori. Okay, and we're saying to we've said to the committee, you know, this ideology, you know, violent men claiming to be women is not te ao Māori. I'll make that mm. very clear. So we're talking about in Dunedin, Alex Alex Sue, I think his name is, Mr. Kylie So from Auckland, Dr. David Lim from Hastings, Blaine Blaine Maney from Rotorua. That was a particularly nasty case. Um, Rory Francis, or otherwise known as Mr. Lacken Mackay, um, from Auckland. Um, oh, there was a man who's a violent man being held in a woman's prison in Christchurch well before South ID laws passed. Uh, name was withheld because he uh, he was, you know, um, being investigated for sexual assault in prison. 
um, against It's incredibly women. reckless, isn't it? I, I oh. mean, you know, just, just to just to anchor back to the free speech aspect of it. Sure. There is stuff here to discuss. And people are trying to say that there should not be a debate here. Like There's Kathleen no Stock discussion. was on. Hmm. Yeah, Kathleen Stock was on Kim Hill on the weekend. Kim Hill is getting dragged over Twitter for even platforming this woman. No one can know. really point to where she was wrong hmm. or anything like that. They don't even feel that they need to do that. Hmm. They're just saying no debate. But. Hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a huge debate to be had here, and and I don't see how either side actually ultimately wins out of this by the you know the sincere cases on the on the trans side if, if there's no talking about it. Mm. Well, this is a problem. You know, they will say gender identity activists, or you know, they call themselves trans activists. They will swear black and blue that they never. Um, try to silence women, that they never try to cancel women from speaking it. They they swear black and blue that their rights do not impede upon women's rights. And then they turn around and do just that. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you like you just described with, with Kim Hill. That was actually a really, really good um it was a great interview by the way, Dr. Stock being on Kim Hill. And I look forward to more interviews uh, you know, of the same vein on Kim Hill or on any you know, New Zealand media. It's about time that women started, you know, were given uh, a platform to actually flesh out these issues, you know, such as what we we did with the committee. You know, we we put forward our concerns. I mean, just this month, uh, there was a person, his name was, well, his name suppression has been lifted. So Matthew Richard Nelson, I don't know if you heard of the case, in Cambridge, he stabbed three people. Uh, at the time he was charged, he was Matthew Richard Nelson. By the time he appeared in court, he was Emma Nelson. Now, how can that be legitimate? I can guarantee that he didn't have time to apply for self-ID. Well, and I guess the concern is that if they're, you know, if, I mean, if, if it's a, if you can just declare and, and, and change, then there, there really is no process. So Correct. what's stopping anyone doing it? That is our issue. Now, the New Zealand Herald, who I'm reading this article direct from them, on their Facebook page, they closed down comments because they said that the commentary was getting transphobic. Mm. So this is how they silence us, Dane. If we dare, you know, point out the obvious, you know, this man, this violent man, was a man one day, and then the very next day, he's a woman. You can guarantee he didn't follow self-ID laws to apply to have his birth certificate changed. Probably because the policy, I would say, I'm only guessing, the policy is just to go along with anyone that declares a gender identity. And that's dangerous. And if people are saying that it's not dangerous, I challenge them to explain why. You know, So these are very real cases that we wahine have raised with the government. And not just, you know, obviously through these, uh, through our submissions. Um, but, you know, my fellow sisters, you know, Manawahini Korero sisters in New Zealand, they've actually met with certain MPs as well. And, and how is that going? How, how, what's been the um, response to a, a Māori advocacy group working in this space? Has it been um, re- relatively positive? Has it been very tough? Has it been negative? Are, are there unique challenges for Wahine Māori entering into the space? The, the challenge is 
you know, off the bat that we are taken seriously. So we have people like Prue Kapua, who's the president of the Māori Women's Welfare League, you know, making sure once she found out that we existed, making sure that, you know, she would, she would tell everyone that, that the, you know, Māori Women's Welfare League are the only Māori women's group in New Zealand. <laughs> you know, and it's just, why don't you want to talk to us, Prue? You know, um, but, you know, largely the government don't have time for us, but we have been well received by feminists around the world. Um, and, you know, for that we are so grateful uh, because they can, you know, they see where we're coming from. You know, our arguments, you know, with feminists, you know, we're, we're pretty much arguing the same line, if that makes sense, but just from a cultural line. Um, but because our culture understands the difference between wahine and tane and acknowledges that, um, you know, we're very, very similar in, I guess, in our aims. If that makes sense. Rawiri Waititi of the Māori Party, the co-leader of the Māori Party, he um, had, had something very interesting to say on Q&A last week, and that was that uh, Louisa Wall, the former Labour MP who fell out with the party basically and was given a cushy job to shut her up, I think. Ambassador for Pacific Gender Equality, I believe. Well, well, yeah, that's right. And he made the point um, and he was a bit critical of it, and he was asked, you know, why would that be? And he said, "Well, who's asking? Did who's I?" Just, he said, "I'm just asking the question. Did the Pacific peoples ask for this role, or is this just something that we think is a good idea and we're going to put on them? Because if that's the case, this is just colonization again, isn't it? it I is. mean, these are these are you know, spreading ideology is no different from the missionary turning up." and saying, don't worry about your gods. I've got a book here. You know, it's time for you to read my book. This is the better book. Like, uh, is is this, do you think there is a bit of a colonize, colonization angle happening to all of this? Dane, it's how I recognized it. It's because it smells exactly like colonization. It looks like colonization. It behaves exactly like colonization. So interesting, well, another interesting note. He actually said to me, uh, this is on his Facebook page, because I'd been, you know, with the self-ID bill, I'd, I'd said to him, oh, it's not a good idea. You know, I was trying to, you know, challenge him and give him give him articles and evidence and all that type of stuff. And he just said to me, Michelle, put a group together and get back to me. I thought, like, oh, okay. Anyway, we'd already put Marawahine Kōrero together. Um, he asked for a document. I gave it to him. Haven't heard back from him at all. I think that politicians should meet with everyone. You know, that's that's what I think. Um, even I agree. Even people that are, you know, maybe considered beyond the pale, uh, because if you take the voice away from people, they get desperate. Anything can happen. You know, that's right. Exactly. We've seen that. We've seen that happen in history, haven't we, Dane? We, we, we have. Yeah. People need to be able to say their piece. Get up. Let it out. I was part of a um, documentary. Uh, years back now on restorative justice and there was a Maori co-popper to this documentary to, to, to the justice you know um it was it happened on a marae and everything and these were people with a lot of pain a lot of hurt you know and a lot of hate even for the the person that did them wrong or you know sometimes it was whanau like like one story was it was a guy who they were you know drunk and everything and one guy stabbed the other guy like in the heart 
oh, but he lived. Mm. So there was some, there was big time stuff there. But by the end of the, when they actually got to sit with each other, you know, they were crying and hugging by the end of it. I mean, that's Fano. That's a bit different. Mm. But still, when you get people across a table and you say, "This is how I feel. This is how you made me feel," and all, you know, you'd be amazed at how moderating that is. I know a lot of people today say, "Don't talk to the other side." You'll empower them all the time. That's, that's not really what happens. No, and look, even even as Māori wahine, we face that all the time. You know, like I said before, just because we challenge the dogma on gender identity, we are, they don't even bother to give us a time of day. We are already turfs. You know, I've been sent death threats, rape threats. I've been sent rape threats for my daughter. You know, she was only a, she was a lot younger back then. You know what I mean? It's, dis, it's despicable. They can't eat. There is no equivalent response from women to those activists. There's none at all. So moving on to the submission process. Now, this was quite a controversial uh, submission process uh, for, for, for quite a few groups. Um, you know, I definitely got feedback. And I saw firsthand um, your submission and uh, – the the conduct I think of some of the MPs left a lot to be desired, both in the moment <sighs> and after the moment. Now, this hasn't got to do with <laughs> where I or anyone else sits in the argument. Yes. It's just yeah. you know I, I've submitted before. Um, it was you know it, it was I was pretty nervous uh, when it got to the questions. I was a little bit you know I mean <laughs> it can happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know if someone was really being quite obnoxious on that that other call, you know, the wheels really possibly could have come off for me. Um, you're really going out on a limb uh, when you're doing submissions. And I think anyone who's prepared to front up does deserve respect. But I, I did not, I really wasn't impressed with the conduct I saw from the MPs. So do you want to talk through your experience there? Yeah, sure, Dane. Look, we were equally disgusted by their conduct you know, I've never heard before, it's the first time I believe, I mean, you, you could correct me on this, I believe it was the first time that Parliament opened submissions to overseas submitters for New Zealand laws, which, you know, as um, as Tangata Whenua, we found that odd. <laughs> um, so when, when what happened was when overseas submitters did front up to submit, it depended on you know which way you fell as to how you were treated. That was really it was so obvious. I mean, not just with overseas submitters, to be honest, Dane. Also with you know other submitters as well. Um, if you were if you agreed with the bill and the proposed legislation, oh, there's you know they couldn't speak highly enough of you. If you didn't, you were treated <laughs> in the most arrogant way. And I, it, it was interesting to watch that unfold, you know. Um, we often say that this movement is um, reminiscent of brainwashing techniques. Um, I make no bones about that. And you can see it in these politicians that were sitting on the committees receiving these submissions. You can see how they changed. So for us, though, um, one of our lovely members of Marawahini Korero, Rex Landy, uh, she she started her submission. And I think oh, I might have been oh, a minute, maybe two minutes in to her submission. Deborah Russell just 
up and walks out. <laughs> up and mm. leaves. <laughs> now, I'll, you know, I'll finish this. So, and Rick's called that out straight away. You know, she said, oh, yes, I see Deborah Russell was doing the equivalent of putting her fingers in the ears and going, la, 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 I can't hear you, <laughs> you know. Now, Deborah Russell did say that she had to stretch her back. Um, she'd only been sitting down for like a, an hour, I think. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. But later that evening, she tweeted out, she tweeted something like, oh, I'm sure my lovely friends will understand if I say, ooh, do, expletive with an F, off. Now, yeah, that, that was MP the response I'd... to like, oh, look at the day I've had, what I've had to put up with. Exactly. Yeah, and, and she, oh, and then yeah. yeah, and in mm. that thread, she even she even commented on oh, something about how she needed some alcohol or something. Now, <laughs> and then anyway, so an MP picked that up, and I forget who it was, um, or it might just be a party member, and he turned around and said, "It's despicable," you know, yeah. and he, you know, and so the media asked Deborah Russell about that tweet, and she actually named Rex. So that's what really put Marawahine Kōrero on the map when it came, you know, it was because of her that we became, you know, more well-known for our work. Uh, and, of course, in true Marawahine Kōrero style, Rex put up a video. We have a YouTube channel, which I'll give you the link to later, mm-hmm. uh, which is our most popular video yet. <laughs> and she was responding to Deb Russell. Now, Deborah Russell and all those MPs sitting on these committees, they get paid handsomely. They are sitting on the public purse. We're not. You know, these submissions, and it's not just us, you know, every submitter that takes the time, Dane, to put all this information together uh, and to also front up to, you know, give their give their verbal submissions, it's no mean feat. You know, like our um, one of our submissions, I think it was our written, I should say, was I'm just looking at it now. Twelve pages, thirteen. Thirteen pages was one, and I think the other was not as much, maybe ten. Oh, eight. And that's a lot of work, and we don't get paid for it. And to be you, treated like that no, is despicable. It's, it's disgusting and anti-democratic. It's anti-democratic. And, Absolutely. And, and, and I actually think that you know, it's um, a mockery. It is. It is. Good, good, good word. Uh, you would think that um, someone like Deborah Russell, you know, with a Māori advocacy group coming on would, would would have the humility to think, well, okay, well, there could be a perspective in here. I'm, I may not be fully convinced by what they say, but there's likely to be a perspective or two here that, you know, I would probably benefit from hearing from. Um, but well, we that, was, that was Rex's. Well, well, that was Rex's individual submission, mm. um, but she did, yeah. But she was in uh, one of ours, uh, one of our submissions. It was the self ID submission, which myself and Rex's sister Di Landy presented on. And at the end of our submission, Deb Russell straight away, <laughs> obviously, and what really upset me. And, and look, I, I'll I'll be honest. I didn't mean to come across so annoyed at Deb Russell, but <laughs> I couldn't hide my, you know, annoyance. Uh, after all that work, she turned around and asked how we felt about, and she tripped up. She said, how do you feel about women? Oh, I mean trans men. So even she sees them as women. Mm. Now, I didn't point that out at the time, but I thought, no, I'll let you go. I'll let that one slide, you know. 
And but I said to her, you know, you are asking the same inane question to every single submitter, pretty much, that I've watched. Deborah, why are you not listening to their answers? Why would our answer be any different after all we've said? You know, we take the time to put all this information together. She didn't bother bother to ask us a cultural question. No, no, that's interesting, isn't it? There's no, it's like she's just got a couple of gotchas loaded up, ready to go, and she's not engaging with what you're what you're actually no, saying. No, it's all superficial. Exactly, it's all superficial. There's no depth whatsoever, no genuine engagement, and that's what really upset me about it. So you can see it in the video, and I didn't mean to react, so, but I did. I just, you know. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I think that the government really risks people just not engaging with this process at all. I mean, they've shortened some of the windows for these submissions, so I think they would love it if no one fed back on these things. <laughs> I don't think well, it would make their life a lot easier, wouldn't it? It would make their life a lot easier because I don't think they're that interested in, in the opinions of common people, you know. Um, mm. And, you know, that um, that just adds to the issues with this entire beast, with, you know, gender identity propaganda. It really does. Uh, because, like I said, the New Zealand Herald shut down comments on their Facebook page about that, you know, the case that I was telling you about. Oh, because it's, you know, they just labelled everyone, you know, oh, we're getting too many transphobic <laughs> comments. So, you know, why, I mean, if I was part of the gender identity community, I would have questions about a violent man stabbing three people in Cambridge in a restaurant, one of them, I believe, was his ex-partner, and then the next day identifying as a woman. I would have some serious questions about that. Exactly. And a lot of trans people would have serious questions about that because what these activists are doing are lumping that person in with someone that may have gone through a process over years, medical consultations. I mean, they get they get lumped together, don't they? Well, this is it, you know, and... And it's not just the activists, though, Dane. Obviously, it's the media as well. That's New Zealand Herald. You know, they're all complicit in it. It's almost like they are captured. You know, even Kim Hill, when she, and you'd know this, when when she um, introduced Kathleen Stock, <laughs> before she said anything, you know, she just put a warning out straight away that this could offend some people. Now, I don't know. I mean, I listened to the I listened to the court at all, and I thought it was fantastic. There was nothing offensive that Dr. Stock said at all. You know, she brought up some Having those warnings ahead of time is ridiculous. You know, because I I write comedy. so ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, right. I I write comedy for a job. And um, uh, I I had a producer once say, before we start, if anything's offensive, please put your hands up. And and I could see the attitude (laughs) and everyone in the room change because they started listening for offense. Yeah. You know, like it, it wasn't an organic thing anymore. They were actually, you know, you could see the eyes darting back and forward. Was that okay? Was that not? Was that okay? Just don't put it out there. Exactly. Exactly. And it's almost like a controlled, I mean, it's almost like a manipulation. Oh, this will offend you. Or oh, they are trans, you know, transphobic. Or oh, they are terse. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it is shading the, it's casting aspersions on, on her interview 
on her interview subject by saying, now this person is quite a nasty person, be warned. That's what, that's what they basically it's say. So, oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, I couldn't eye roll hard enough at that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. look, and I'll be honest, I don't know, like I don't listen, I'm not a radio listener, I'll be honest. So I'd not ever heard of Kim Hill before, but, you know, I, I did enjoy, I definitely enjoyed that interview, that's for sure. Um, yeah, no, no, look, any long-form interview, you get to learn a lot about a person, and I think I think that's a good thing. Hey, hey, look, this has been a fantastic chat and it's been good to to I'm meet glad. you virtually. <laughs> likewise, likewise, Dane. Thank yeah. you so much for reaching out. I really appreciate it. Well, n- no worries at all. And um, if you have any updates uh, to share with our listeners, um, you know, you reach out to me and um, we'll uh, we'll have this conversation again. Well, well, look, if, before we go, if I could just say that, you know, Marawahine Korero, we're on Twitter, we're on Getter. Um, we've also got a YouTube channel. I'll give you the link to that. Um, so, yeah, so people can can come and follow us and see what we're doing and see what we're up to. Fantastic. Thanks so much for having me, Dane. Thanks for listening to the Free Speech Union podcast. If you would like to learn more about us or find out how you can get involved or support, you can head on over to fsu.nz or check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Kakiti anō.